Hey, so you're about to listen to a conversation I've just had with Pat Smith. Pat is a blogger, writer, thinker, and communicator in the psychedelic space. Anybody who's listened to this podcast for a little while will know that I am really interested in consciousness and how psychedelics can begin to open up and explore areas that we might not necessarily always have access to. Um, there have been a few conversations in the past where I've spoken about this and, and thought this through, but I thought it'd be really helpful to um, begin to explore this a little bit more on the podcast. So this isn't going to be a regular thing, but this conversation with Pat is uh, one of a couple that I've got planned with people who understand this stuff far better than me. So in this conversation, you're going to hear Pat explore and explain um, many of the different facets and thoughts around psychedelics and the West, especially, and how we utilize and think them through um, with a challenge at the end, which I really admire about how we have taken things to be used for ourselves rather than acknowledge and understand why different cultures and different people groups have uh, utilized and explored these things before us. Um, we always think we have the answer right, but actually more often than not, another culture might have gone before us and uh, yeah, rarely do we look back and reflect and thank those people in that culture for um, how they have enabled us, especially here in the West, to yeah, understand and explore things like psychedelics. So yeah, first and foremost, this conversation is just about psychedelics. So if you have an issue with that or you don't want to listen to it, here's your warning. But I find it really helpful and refreshing, especially hearing how Pat explores this space um, to reflect upon my own story and my own journey. Just a couple of notes. There are a few noises in the background. There are some kids playing outside as I record this. And um, yeah, you might hear them from time to time uh, chime in. But um, yeah, it shouldn't be too noticeable. Uh, but for those with the sort of, uh, yeah, those those expert ears, you'll definitely pick that up. And um, for everyone else, um, I hope you enjoy this conversation. I hope you understand Pat's heart and passion for psychedelics and how he explains and explores that. Um, he might utilize religious language from time to time, but I think it's... Um, it's very helpful as the metaphors and the thoughts that we draw upon from religious experiences and circumstances uh, help to better explain the things that we experience ourselves day in and day out. So yeah, when Pat does this, when he talks about psychedelics, he's helping us to better understand what he's trying to get across. As always, don't forget to like and subscribe. But yeah, enjoy the conversation. Welcome to When Belief Dies, a podcast honestly reflecting on faith, religion, and life. This podcast is all about listening. We want people to share their reasons for faith or their reasons for non-belief so that we can better understand what has or has not convinced somebody of the claims that different religions profess. This is a journey, it's not a destination. And I'm really excited to have you listening with us each week as we delve into different viewpoints from different parts of the world to try and uncover the truth. Enjoy the episode. Hello and welcome to another episode of When Belief Dies. My name's Sam and today I'm delighted to introduce Pat Smith. Pat, it's great to have you on the show. I'm great to be here. So I um I came across a few of your uh, writings on various sort of websites and um yeah just found the way that you're talking about um psychedelics and the sort of uh, world around psychedelics to be uh, fascinating and um 
my listeners know that I'm kind of slowly exploring this space more and more and trying to understand the sort of links between um, our kind of experiences of spirituality on and off psychedelics and how they're kind of linked to different religions and, and different ways of viewing the world. And I just thought it'd be fantastic to get you on, Pat, to um, unpack a bit about your work, about who you are, um, and then kind of just go down a few avenues as, as they crop up. So I think what would be really helpful if, if you're willing just to start off, if you could tell us a bit about yourself, a bit about your work, and then, yeah, we'll jump in from there. Sure. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a psychedelic writer, which um, I guess will become a more and more common job title as time goes on. But um, I um, started out my career as a neuroscientist uh, studying the brain and uh, did a PhD uh, in uh, regenerative medicine. And uh, halfway through my PhD, decided sort of I was getting a little frustrated at the um, the way academic science was going and sort of looking at my future career path wasn't too happy with it. I got into neuroscience because I was interested in consciousness and I didn't really feel that I was getting anywhere with it. Um, so I then took some psychedelics over the course of several years, sort of experimented with psychedelics, uh, got a bit of a surprise in terms of the insights they gave me, uh, most of them not particularly comfortable. And that encouraged me to... Um, changed my career path towards psychedelics. And I used my scientific background to get a job as a basically science communicator in psychedelic, uh, in the psychedelics sphere. I worked for a couple of websites doing uh, writing about psychedelic research and culture. And now I'm a sort of editor and writer for a number of different psychedelic websites. Um, and uh, that's where I am today. I'm a sort of a an advocate for psychedelics um, being used responsibly, um, most importantly being used uh, with their origins in mind and in the context of a culture that drastically needs healing in all sorts of ways. That's so beautifully said. Um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I'm finding this exploration, and I'm very new to it, I've only been doing it for about a year, um, to be one of the most powerful life-changing experiences that I've I've ever had, and I I can't actually see another experience being as powerful in the future because um, it's almost blown a hole in my mind to an understanding and a way of looking at things that I didn't think was possible, um, especially outside of a sort of a classic Christian worldview, which you know, my, my listeners will be very, very familiar with me talking about that before. Um, but I kind of, what, what I'd be really interested then is sort of how, have you, have you got much pushback from sort of going into that sort of career from friends, family, or, or is, is it just been absolutely fine? Uh, I haven't received um, any kind of severe pushback. You know, I haven't suffered yeah, I, I have many elements of privilege and so which have protected me from suffering any kind of serious downsides of, of switching career path like that. And um, I've found mostly apathy from um, or disinterest from uh, family. Friends have been moderately supportive mostly and I've sort of made a new circle of psychedelic friends who are a lot more enthusiastic about the work that I do. But um, mostly from friends and family, I was met with sort of nonplussed opinions and sort of like, you know, because people aren't very educated about psychedelics. People have vague ideas and stereotypes, but, but people were just a bit confused when they, you know, heard what I was doing and a little bit, you know, all these worries about, you know, me turning into a yoga teacher eventually, or, you know, all these, all these stereotypes. So luckily I haven't been challenged too much and I've had a pretty gentle path, uh, towards in this sort of area that I love. Yeah. 
that's good. Um, I think one of one of the big things I've experienced when talking to friends and family about psychedelics, especially my experience, is um, a sort of puzzled bewilderment comes across their face um, or within their voice if I'm doing a Zoom chat. I can't quite see them properly. And um, there seems to be this sort of um, this idea that, um, oh, you're just doing something to almost kind of um, get high and just uh, escape the world and just have an experience and you're going to come back to reality and you'll just carry on. It's maybe just like a little bit of a reset every now and then. Um, and, and a few people have kind of said that, you know, anything that you experience when on these sorts of things um, can't be life altering because life is this sort of mundane process that we're in all the time. And those things are little kind of snippets into something else. So really, you're just kind of just escaping. It's just it's just escapism. Um, how, how do you how do you explain um, psychedelics and the importance of psychedelics to people who, um, you know, maybe come from a different generation or have a different generational worldview upon them? So that's such a great question. And the, the short answer is it's really, really hard. Uh, I've had so many experiences of, you know, talking to family members about it, you know, encountering that same kind of a detached look and having the, the one thing that sticks with me is people so often say, yeah, but was that a real experience? You know, if I say during psychedelics, I encountered this deity or during psychedelics, I became a tree, you know, they'll usually say, yeah, but it wasn't real, you know, it wasn't real, real. Um, the the hardest thing with encountering that is that I think the most effective way to change that um, kind of way of seeing the world is to get them to take psychedelics and or have some kind of altered state of consciousness where they can realize, oh yeah, I mean, if, if I experience God, I experienced God. It doesn't matter if I've taken a molecule, um, except, you know, unless I, I come out of it and then justify it based on my cultural conditioning around molecules, you know, the, there's obviously a way you can come out of it and say it's not real and deny the experience. But yeah, I think the most effective way is to get them to take psychedelics. And obviously people with those um, opinions are for various reasons, generally not that interested in taking psychedelics. So um, I think just sort of gently encouraging um, when people say things like that, you know, well, what do you mean by real? Do, if it, you know, do you, do you, if you think it's a hallucination, um, what makes it fake? What makes that separation between what you consider the grounded reality and stuff that's just lights and colors uh, in some other realm? And where do you draw the line? How do you, how do you justify that kind of dualistic philosophy, which is, um, at best a little bit dated um and or do you have some kind of spectrum of realness somewhere and how do you judge where my experience is uh, lies on that spectrum and you know uh is there a risk in telling people that their religious experiences aren't real or aren't as real as yours you know i think just sort of probing with those kind of gentle questions is probably a nice way to move that conversation along yeah yeah i love that it's um it is definitely a challenge. Um, I've been, I've been, I've been tempted a few times just to put it in their tea or something. I, I never have, I never have, but um, always, always a temptation. Um, I think, I think it could, it could help many people in, in, in many ways. Um, so I guess I kind of, um, there's obviously a few different areas I want to push into. I think a good one to start on would be sort of your understanding of consciousness. You've already mentioned kind of neuroscience and how you kind of were looking at consciousness anyway, and then that sort of naturally led into this sort of kind of psychedelic research writing kind of um, position that you're within now. So kind of how do you view consciousness? How do you view 
you um yeah it's only kind of very much aware that the listener probably doesn't understand you know different things like um immersion kind of consciousness or um yeah um uh panpsychism panpsychism or or duality or or sorry non-duality or, or these sorts of things and even i'm getting my words confused now so um just kind of yeah because for a very kind of like a lay person kind of explanation how do you view it and and maybe how are some of the other ways that it's seen as well yeah i can try my best to sort of explain my own personal journey with with what i understand consciousness consciousness to be but you know i'm still learning i don't have the experience of a philosopher who can put things into into simple words but um for me, one of the big revelations of psych that psychedelics gave me was that uh, ultimately mind is primal. The, the only thing we know for sure ever is that we're experiencing this moment here right now. That's the only thing we can ever be absolutely certain of. And mainstream Western science um, or the Western scientific paradigm tells us that we um that mind comes out of matter that matter is the primary thing that the brain is the primary thing sitting in a soup somewhere and and mind comes out of it um and you know i believe that in my scientific career because i was a neuroscientist and this is um this is kind of quite subversively programmed into the education system as as you're learning about neuroscience you're learning that neurons or consciousness arises from neurons you know the the brain is producing consciousness rather than the what i've come to believe the philosophical reality that neurons are associated with consciousness the brain is associated with consciousness and mind um so this was a huge realization for me as a neuroscientist to then be like wow okay logically uh it's a bit of a leap to um suggest that there's a duality between mind and matter and that the brain is some uh, some kind of like mechanical system that produces our vivid beautiful experiences of the world but uh, these two things are separate um it, it requires so much explanation and so much digging and confusion um so for me taking psychedelics led me down the path of you know you mentioned panpsychism which is one philosophy that kind of tries to understand how mind fits into the world what i really got passionate about was um metaphysical idealism which um to put simply is the idea that um everything is in mind um so uh or everything is a process of mind so um whereas panpsychism says that everything is conscious which can be a bit confusing you know is a rock conscious that's that's a hard concept for us to grasp as humans but idealism says a rock may not be conscious but it's in mind every everything is mind it's it's a representation of a process of mind so uh, a simple or a relatively simple way of thinking about the brain mind problem in in idealism is that the brain is what processes of mind look like when we look from the outside so when you're looking at someone, uh, someone else, another human, you know they have an inner experience of life and they could tell you what that experience is, which is another representation of their inner experience of life. But you can also look at their brain and that brain gives you an external view of what's going on in their life. And all of that's lovely, but it's all in mind. There is no point and matter has to come into this to give you a coherent explanation of what's going on. This is 
as I understand it, the, the sort of basic theory of idealism that um, every, everything is fundamentally mind and a process of mind, it's all very, very confusing and metaphysical idealism still leaves us at the point of, well, why are we all here? Why is this all happening? How has that happened? And how has that happened? We, st we still can't answer any of those questions, but it's a lot more parsimonious, which means it's a lot more logically consistent and um, just kind of a really much more straightforward way of viewing the world than thinking we have some kind of magical box in our head that produces mind, but isn't then back influenced by it. And that, that I think for me that learned, you know, this change in my life showed me how dangerous that can be um, because it denies or can deny our responsibility for our own minds and our own actions because it makes us machines. It makes us automata. Yeah, I've, I've noticed that um, very often when someone begins talking about consciousness, the natural progression of the conversation, and I don't think we should get there today, but is it's obviously free will. Like, do we actually have control over what we do and do not experience and feel and therefore act upon? Um, it's, it's a fascinating conversation, one that I've tried to engage with a few philosophers about before and um, found it difficult to grasp my head around more often than not. It's just, um, it, it's very complex. So anyway, we're going to leave that one there. But I think that's a really helpful um exploration of it I've, I've i've always found um so annika harris who is sam harris's wife um has a great book basically uh, just called consciousness um or conscious even and um in there she kind of sketched out some of these views exceptionally well and she has a really uh, i'm going to mention panpsychism but this idea that um kind of you know everything at some level has 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 a conscious ability but maybe you know kind of this table um isn't conscious itself but it could be made up of things that's kind of understand or interact with consciousness um, and sort of like consciousness being at the sort of base level of the universe i find this sort of like a, like a really interesting like if 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 there isn't a god as i once believed in it, in it then there could be other things that are almost the sort of foundations upon the universe so kind of time being another one where um you can't escape time time is something that's consistently going and how um really everything's a clock which might sound really weird but like our bodies are actually clocks we just don't view them like that and everything we experience and, and, and go through is essentially a clock so this this idea that kind of time is also um potentially a kind of fundamental property to our universe is a is a fascinating one and one again that i kind of leave to the philosophers and these sort of uh scientists and uh physicians not physicians the um um I forget my words. Anyway, basically leave to people who are far smarter than me to actually be able to begin to unpack. But um, I think one of th one of the things I've always found difficult when trying to um, express this is people just, as you've already mentioned, have this idea that it is just an emergent property of the brain and that if you begin to question that, you begin to question science itself and how people just just can I mean if, if you begin to kind of question this about science you're going to question everything else about science and you kind of you're almost this sort of hippie on a bus you know doing this sort of weird stuff going your own way and you kind of lose track of 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 reality um I kind of wondered like how do you deal with maybe um 
I guess I want to call them the suits and ties, but the sort of people who um, who just believe that science is the way that the, that the world works. We know as much as we do know because of science. And if you begin to question things like consciousness being an emergent property of the brain, then you are actually um, pushing against the trend. Um, I, I think that's a good thing, but I know a lot of people kind of don't agree with that. So what, what were your thoughts on that, Pat? Mm, uh, it's tough. And there are, there are, you know, the current main standing philosophy in western science is here for a reason it's a pretty good defensive mechanism or it can be argued that it's a pretty good defensive mechanism against having to take supreme responsibility for our for our actions and for our minds um i think there are all sorts of explanations about how these philosophies of of these dualistic philosophies materialism and physicalism became so present there are all sorts of great books, including The Science Delusion. That's a great one I'd recommend. Um, but certainly people see it as a challenge when you suggest such a radically different way of, way of seeing the world. And that's just natural. You can't blame people for reacting defensively or with um, outrage or, or surprise. Um, so I think the, the, the thing is to just try and be gentle. Um, try and understand that people have reasons for believing the things they do and um, it does take a lot of effort to switch people out of really ingrained ways of thinking and and yeah this is where psychedelics come in because psychedelics work by providing that opportunity to really drastically change your mind about things um, in ways that are kind of rare to come across in sober life yeah yeah that's that's really powerful i guess obviously kind of the the natural progression of the conversation would kind of say like what what do you think um psychedelics do and how do you think psychedelics work so um i'm aware they're kind of like what what they do to your to your actual kind of mental state as you take them and also kind of how they do that if you could kind of break that down for us that'd be amazing yeah um such a huge question but i'll try i'll try my best to sort of give my opinion and um Lots of different people will give different answers. You know, you ask a um, psychedelic researcher who's really invested in the materialist way of seeing the brain, that'll have a very different answer to me. Um, my answer is more psychological. And I, I think no matter what this sort of um, mechanism, the sort of pharmacological mechanism of, of psychedelics, which I can go into if you like, but um, the, the most important thing is the psychological um effects that accompany and what they seem to do in uh, the right context is to be able to open people up to new ways of seeing the world and give us a huge amount of mental flexibility um, the reason or one of the, the theorized reasons that psychedelics are so useful in the treatment of depression addiction anxiety etc is that um, they can increase this this thing called um, cognitive flexibility or psychological flexibility which allows us to break out of these um, really constrained thought patterns we get into and sort of focusing on the maybe um, particular problems in our life or particular ways of seeing the world um, and when you have a therapist with you or someone trained with you and you take psychedelics and become more cognitively flexible you can become more accepting of change you can become 
more accepting of your current life situations you can maybe start to see new ways out of your current life situation or ways you can change your life situation that you might not have thought of before and then the therapist can sort of gently guide you through these to to make sure you're not sort of um uh running around in circles or getting more and more anxious which are all things that can definitely happen um so for me the way psychedelics can do that from a psychological perspective is is through allowing us to become more flexible the way experientially i think for me and for many other people i've talked to is they can provide us an experience of um what some people might call the divine or um the um numinous or um the universal consciousness we are given an opportunity to get in touch with something which is hard to describe which is by its nature something we can't understand we struggle to put into words it's very powerful it can be very scary um but we can often come out of these sort of brief encounters with it with um a all sorts of positive changes a renewed appreciation for life um a renewed sense of purpose greater acceptance for the hardships in our lives maybe new passions about ways we can change the world positively all sorts of all sorts of things but it, and it can also induce negative changes in the in the in certain contexts um my first big psychedelic experience was highly traumatic i was um what people would call psychotic for several days um because i had no guidance i was on my own i didn't really know much about them about psychedelics and uh it was an experience i wouldn't wish on my worst enemy encountering the divine can also mean encountering those deities that want to destroy you and it can mean traveling through hell realms you know whether or not you are religious and you know these are these are words that just stand as archetypes of intense suffering and and pain um so psychedelics have the potential to put you in touch with something very powerful that we don't usually come into contact with in our lives and that powerful thing has the potential to to help us change in positive ways and can also scare us hey i want to take a minute of your time to talk about supporting when belief dies this will always be an advertisement free podcast and for that reason i hope you will be willing to share this episode with your friends and family Subscribe to the podcast in your favorite podcast app and check us out over on YouTube. Finally, I want to ask you to consider supporting the show financially. You can support the show on Patreon with a monthly gift or a one-off donation via PayPal. Everything that you give goes directly towards running and improving the blog and podcast. Take a look in the description for all the links and thank you for supporting the show. Right. Let's get back to this week's episode. Yeah, I've I've definitely noticed um every single time I've taken them that um there is a very very fine line between complete awe and wonder and um complete hell and terror. So there seems to be this um this almost this this knife edge that I walk down where I'm um aware that my anxieties and my 
almost resistance to letting my ego almost kind of die within me um, seems to kind of often push me towards this um, this negative state. So that kind of this um, there's this um, there's this ravine which I've been in a few times whilst taking psychedelics, and um, for some reason within within this ravine, it, it kind of it can feel as if all the trees that are kind of in this ravine, so there's this big ravine, um, and there's this water flowing through the middle of it, and it's, it's almost like all these trees are falling into this. It's almost like the world's falling in on itself. And I kind of my, my mind can get lost in this, like everything's closing in, it's all falling in, it's all meaningless, and, and nothing's happening, and this is I can get myself really really worked up like I can also kind of see how there's there's freedom if you kind of can push out of it and it's just you know it just might sound completely mental I'm talking about it now but actually um in that moment there is this sort of um complete awareness that um it's how you perceive the situation and how you allow your mind to push you through it that um that can change you and I also think as well that when you when you go through something negative as I have now a couple of times you you are still taught things that are very powerful and and about yourself. So I think you kind of walk away from the situation and you can realize that um, consciousness has taught you something about you and you can meditate and reflect on that for decades. Like I, I honestly think some of the things I've learned are going to be going through my head for, for the rest of my life. Like I just don't think I'm going to, I'm, I don't think I can let them go. They're going to have fundamentally changed who I am for good. Um, and I think that's a, um, a really powerful thing is actually these negative experiences, although negative at the time, can lead to life altering positive changes if you allow them to to highlight the areas that it was trying to highlight the whole way through. I don't know, are you, are you, are your kind of reflections on it, it's, it's almost like consciousness is trying to show you something or do you think it's just you kind of bringing things to the fore yourself? Like, how do you how do you view those things? I mean, I, I completely agree with you about challenging experiences. Um, I, I've always kind of grappled with the question do we need to have very difficult experiences for the for the greatest amount of healing and it's certainly true that people who've had very difficult experiences often report very profound amounts of healing I think it is definitely possible to have similarly profound healing from very gentle experiences um, but I think the challenging ones do have a way of cutting to the heart of things. Uh, for myself, that's definitely the way it happened. The you know, most profoundly challenging experience I could possibly imagine has um, uh, given me benefits I couldn't have imagined, you know, um, but it's a, it gives and takes, you know. Um, in terms of what you asked about, it, are we being, I, th I think what, what, what you were asking was, are we being sort of shown something from elsewhere or are we producing um, something from within? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I, I think it's a, it's a little bit of both. Um, there is definitely an elsewhere. There is an unseen world. There is, there's stuff going on out there that we can't understand. At the same time in these, um, in psychedelic experiences, a lot of what you go through is related to your own history, your own way of seeing the world, your own particular traumas and what you find scary and what you find joyful. Um, so I think, you know, you, you are definitely being shown something from elsewhere and you are certainly reacting to it uh, and your reaction to it tends to teach you quite a lot about yourself yeah I know um I I often also find myself 
um, being extremely struck by things that I didn't think were a big deal and then finding out that they were. Um, so kind of two two examples, um, which as I mentioned, them will just sound like they're, well, one, one of them is very important, but one of them will sound like the most unimportant thing ever. Um, but when I was, I was kind of experiencing um, it on psychedelics, I realized that I needed to heal from this. Um, it was really bizarre. So I'm very, very, very dyslexic. I struggle to read um, and have struggled to read my entire life. And it's only through being forced to read that I've actually grown this sort of love for reading. I'm, I'm still very dyslexic. But um, when I was younger, I was reading the Harry Potter books. And um, there's a person, as everyone will know, because everyone's read Harry Potter these days, but there's this person called um, Hermione in the Harry Potter books. And I'd read the name Hermione for like most of them before the films came out um and it was only when watching the films that i realized that basically i just messed that name up consistently as i was reading it and i was like i never really thought much more of it than that but um on a psychedelic experience i realized basically that i have um this sort of massive problem with names um which i obviously knew about but as in I, there's a, a psychological problem within me where i um, almost don't trust myself with names unless i've heard them first um and i almost kind of like um subconsciously seem to be always worrying over someone's name am i pronouncing it correctly have i got it right am i doing this thing with with someone's name addressing them correctly etc etc and um, it's this really powerful experience where i just basically wept for like an hour over the fact that i'd consistently got hermione's name wrong from harry potter because i realized that um it was coming to terms with who i am and my dyslexia and my issues within dyslexia within names and stuff and it was a very powerful moment for me where i actually learned something about myself that I'd always known but never addressed and never actually looked at because the world's so much bigger than the fact I can't get names right like you just you're on to the next thing all the time it's it's insane and then um and and another one which is really really important for me is um so I've got I've got two boys um a almost six-year-old and a three-year-old um, and the almost six-year-old um has a squint in one of his eyes and um we had an option a few years ago to kind of have uh, have an operation for him where um we could kind of correct that and we decided to not do that because we wanted him to make the decision um and i'd always thought that was the correct thing to do and I, I still believe that to be the right thing to do um but i found myself again weeping for a good you know hour or two hours about this because um essentially i'd made this decision for my little boy who's still a little boy to me you know, he might be like 20 when he hears this who knows these things stay online forever um but anyway i was basically weeping over this little boy that i'd made this decision for and um i still thought it was the right decision but the, the weight of the decision the importance of the decision suddenly struck me um that you know i had the ability to be entrusted with somebody's well-being essentially and that i was um called to be that person for somebody that sort of mantle of responsibility being put on my shoulders and my wife and me come together and made this decision um for our son and it was just a a really big moment where i had to kind of um recognize that i'd made a decision and that it had a big impact um, and that um this was something that i was carrying in my subconscious and i almost feel like um these things that i'd just done just got on with the next thing didn't really think about it anymore um but in my subconscious they had remained and i'd been carrying that and it was almost like um, by mistake they're allowed to be let free like dogs on a lead someone had let go of the end of the lead and they'd shot out into my consciousness and i was like oh my goodness i need to settle this in my head and my heart and it was it was such a powerful moment for me um, and I've, I've had you know, many more like that but just this this idea that actually as you mentioned there are many things unseen um, and your consciousness could be separate from the body etc etc I'm not trying to argue anything around that but um, I think even within our subconscious there are things that are trying to always push through into our conscious and, and very rarely do we let them because um, we're addicted to our phones we're addicted to doing stuff we're so busy all the time and actually having the space to stop and almost tune yourself down to let the other things within you come to the fore um, is such a powerful thing um, I don't know do you kind of talk about that sort of stuff when, when you when you explain psychedelics to people 
yeah i mean those are two really wonderful examples of how psychedelics can reveal things to us that end up producing healing or transformation or even just getting to know ourselves better um people often talk about psychedelics as if um as if it's sort of several months or years of therapy you know and i think that's a good example of what of how in that in normal therapy it takes quite a long time to get to the heart of matters because you have a lot of defenses up and you've described it really well about how we make a lot of decisions in life that have consequences and those consequences often hurt people for whatever reason psychedelics break down those barriers and we become more aware of certain decisions we've made that have hurt people or some things that have happened to us that have hurt us like your dyslexia being um pushed down by all sorts of cultural factors and you not addressing it um as something that you maybe need help with or, or you know um so i mean those are just wonderful examples of how psychedelics can show us very deep inside ourselves and in the right context it can do that in a gentle way that doesn't terrify you and make you not want to change um in fact it just says you know here's a here's a real truth about you and yeah it's hard to look at it because it's been down here for so long but uh hey it was going to come out somehow and it's better to look at it now and then to have the sort of be able to make a decision about how you want to incorporate that in your life yeah absolutely i think one of the things that i found really interesting just beginning to read more research about psychedelics as i've become more interested and kind of an, an, an advocate of their good um is is their ability to help people um who are in just some of the worst situations possible so i'm thinking you know stage four cancer that, that someone's going to die soon they're trying to deal with massive life traumas maybe abuse or whatever it is and actually um there there, there seems to be a space obviously for the sort of everyday but also for that um hard real raw gritty stuff that people experience within their lives and um yeah i'm just i'm kind of getting more and more and more impressed with the research coming out around especially kind of end of life palliative care and psychedelics and how um there seems to be a really safe space where people can almost lose the fear of death through an experience from a single little mushroom um how that can actually help somebody to overcome their sort of um conceptions or constructs or, or ideas around death and what death is and how death interacts with with them as a person um i don't know about what, what are your thoughts on psychedelics and death yeah i have i have very particular thoughts on psychedelics and death so um i'm sure your listeners can feel very free to disagree with me but um uh, again it comes back to metaphysical idealism for me the idea that there is such a thing as um we're, we're, we're sitting in an overarching system of mind a universal consciousness is one one way it's called and i think for many people um psychedelics can show them that death is not oblivion death death is not necessarily the end um life is change the the essence of being uh an experiencing being if there is one is change it's it's things changing moment to moment and death may be may be a very big change uh, but it's a change nonetheless and it doesn't um take away who you are it doesn't it, it doesn't take away all your memories maybe they're forgotten temporarily maybe they go somewhere else maybe parts of you go elsewhere but they only move somewhere else within the universal consciousness 
and you move somewhere else in the universal consciousness and everything changes. Uh, that's my opinion of, of why psychedelics can be so useful in palliative care and can change people's perspectives on death. Um, obviously, I can't speak for the experience of people who have terminal illness and have taken psychedelics, but having read quite a few of those of reports from from those people, it does seem like it just does something to reduce that anxiety of feeling like we're going to lose everything or that death is going to be painful or we're going to go to some dark eternal oblivion. Um, for me and my psychedelic experiences, although I've never had um, severe illness or never been on the brink of death to my knowledge, um, psychedelics have helped me see that there are much worse things to be afraid of than death, to be quite honest. Um, there, there, is all, there are all sorts of kind of suffering in this world and uh, a, a painless death is one of the most minimal. Um, and the sort of the, the actual concept of death in itself, regardless of whatever suffering leads to that point, is, is not something to be afraid of. I've often wondered if this is the sort of um, sort of the place that, that, that religion of, of any sort, I'm thinking kind of, um, especially kind of like old Celtic religion, where you would bury somebody with something to go on to the next life in because death wasn't viewed as the end. It was viewed as a journey into something like you give them coins or beads or weapons or jewellery or pottery or whatever it is to um, carry on with. And this is the idea that actually, even though we here in this physical realm can no longer interact with those that have gone beyond, they are still going somewhere. There's still a journey to be had. And I find that um, I find that extremely interesting, especially with sort of, um, I mean, we kind of can't go into it now, but sort of um, near-death experiences. I know um, many hard atheists who um, have this idea of consciousness where um, near-death experiences seem to suggest that the sort of conscious abilities to retain memory seem to kind of carry on in some sort of capacity and um you know many materials will go no that's complete bollocks that is not true at all which is which is fair enough that's that, that that's their worldview and this is why i i push back against this sort of materialist um framework because i'm i'm just not sure i'm, I'm very very open to this sort of uh this this exploration and, and this space but um so this is why i kind of prefer the term naturalist because i think you know if 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 if, if consciousness is um part of this world i think it's part of nature it's just part of of this thing that we are in and actually that i can get on board with is is the materialist side that i'm a bit like are we just you know robots acting out this sort of determined life that we're living and we're going to come to the end of it and you're going to die and that's the end and just kind of we are lumped with whatever we're lumped with and um, i don't know i, I feel like there, there, there feels and seems to be potentially more so why are we just kind of capping it off and saying no that's not the case um yeah i think that that, that kind of comes back to um to science and it comes back to the the way we explore the world there's a really interesting book called galileo's error uh, written by um Philip Goff, um, who I'm still trying to get on the podcast, but um, he's he's a really interesting guy, kind of a pan, pan psychist, and he um, he kind of talks about how essentially um, the scientific I ideal as it was 
like laid out by by Galileo deliberately doesn't kind of bring into question consciousness because um, it's something that we can't really factor in if we want to have sort of like hard uh, scientific mathematical equations and proofs and concepts theories facts etc it's um it's, it's really interesting anyway um again we, we won't go down that avenue but um I thought what would be interesting Pat is your I, I mean I think that you're very very new to this entire worldview because I think in 80 years time you'll be one of the forerunners to the sort of kind of like psychedelic researcher writer explorer uh, communicator um, and I think you know in, in in 80 years time we'll see hopefully massive changes within law and legislation and uh, and use of these substances um, and I think there's a lot of sort of um, bad press due to people potentially taking things in the wrong settings um, to try and get an experience and finding that they're lost in hell as we've already mentioned um, and going through these different planes of hell for quite a while um, I kind of wanted to get your take as, as, as somebody who has been in this space for a while when I say that you're new to this I mean that when we look back through the sort of lens of history we'll see that you were there at the beginning as we kind of journeyed this thing through so kind of as, as someone who's, who has a voice and a voice that will continue in this space um, what's your advice to those that maybe haven't taken psychedelics before or haven't experienced maybe mindfulness meditation or, or even thought about consciousness and and how would you help them to begin to navigate this um this massive potentially quite scary space yeah um yeah there there is like you say there's certainly the risk of having a bad experience um and while i i do believe in everyone's cognitive freedom to take psychedelics recreationally and also have bad experiences you know we've got, got to have that freedom but that those kind of things do often get picked up by media and it can harm the psychedelic movement and there are ways to reduce the risks and um, first and foremost before going anywhere near any psych psychedelic I would recommend people to do the kind of thing you did where you explore mindfulness or meditation or reading about different ways of viewing the world um, just to give yourself a bit of a framework for introspection um, going to therapy is a great place to start because you know we we have all sorts of blind spots that can rear their ugly heads in a psychedelic world and there's no way of removing all of that risk but you know just starting that process of starting to be aware of yourself is is really useful I think for psychedelic experiences and then for people who are interested in taking psychedelics um, obviously don't put yourself in any legal risk the, the legal risk is probably the biggest risk um, associated with psychedelics these days to be honest um, especially if you're not white and uh, I would say you know consider all those all those risks first um, and then sort of do do a bit of research do a bit of reading around figure out how you how you want to go into it there are there are various different ways you can experience psychedelics for a first time you can you can order um, certain plant medicines to be microdosed with that you can just microdose with at home take tiny little bits and not experience any psychoactive effects but still sort of introduce yourself to the world of psychedelics you can sign up for a clinical trial if you're suffering from severe depression anxiety that kind of thing keep an eye out on your local institution see if anyone's doing any psychedelic research if there are any clinical trials um, we're hoping that within the next few decades there will be psychedelic therapy centers that will open to anyone who either has the money or the um, referral um, to offer psychedelic therapy to people you can currently find underground psychedelic therapists if you so wished um, there are all sorts of ceremonies you can travel the world to um, although maybe not so much now but as things start to open up after the pandemic you may be able to 
travel to different retreat centers around the world, um, particularly places like Peru, which there, there are all sorts of retreat centers for ayahuasca. Um, the Netherlands, you can go and take magic mushrooms legally in ceremonies. Um, so there are lots of legal options if you wanted to be introduced to psychedelics. And many of these, or most of these ceremonies are run by people who care about the, their clients. So you'll, you'll go there, you'll have good care, you'll have facilitators and usually medical professionals present to make sure you feel comfortable and safe. Um, so for people who are interested in psychedelics, but maybe a little afraid, like I think most, most people are, um, I would say there's all sorts of research you can do, all sorts of non cool non-psychedelic stuff you can do. Go experience holotropic breath work. That's amazing. There are all sorts of really, really cool things you can do that to alter your state of mind and just get you kind of see how you feel about it before you dive into psychedelics. And then um, all sorts of legal options for you to um, encounter psychedelics if you have the means. Um, and really that because the psychedelic renaissance is is becoming so powerful more and more there are very safe options for exploring psychedelics where you have lots of people around who, who very much care about you and you 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 know definitely don't need to be going to some basement somewhere and taking psychedelics on your own yeah that's so well said i've um yeah i've noticed more and more that there is a a community of people who are like-minded who who literally will love you throughout this experience that there seems to be this complete ex i mean this is one of the things i think that's beautiful about psychedelics is there there is a freeing wholesome element to it where you begin to drop your judgment of other people as you begin to realize that you don't really know yourself um and something that i found really really powerful is um is this this idea that um essentially whoever you're talking to was once a child themselves and they're just going through their own life and and will you ever address a child in the way that you think you might be addressing them at work or outside or wherever it is you're doing like it's, it's really powerful to begin to reframe people and who people are and the importance that people hold and um it's it's done it sounds so strange saying it, but it's done so much more for my value of people than um my my conservative christianity um, ever did for the value of people it's 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 fascinating really um i'm aware that my my conservative christianity is just a flavor of christianity i'm not trying to have a go at any anyone who's religious in any way but um it's, it's just interesting how um how different i view individuals now compared to how i did um due to it um, yeah, I think it's 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 also really helpful to know, as you've mentioned, that um, yeah, like sort of mindfulness and this sort of breathing exercises can actually really begin to help you um, experience your own conscious abilities. I think this is something that I've found, um, you know, repeatedly that um, as I've begun to understand um, where consciousness is is beginning and where I'm sort of um, then beginning to kind of lose myself in my thoughts and my feelings consistently, um, you begin to realize that there is consciousness is always there and it's always present and you are, um, you, you are consciousness rather than you're experiencing consciousness. That's what I found kind of really helpful wording for me. And, um, and in actual fact that every single person will have experienced that in their own way before, but you just might not have recognized it. There might be something else going on within you that you're like, oh, I'm too busy doing X, Y, Z, but there are moments in your day, every single day where you are, you are consciousness and then you get lost again your thoughts and feelings and um because it's so fleeting and so and so uh, kind of small you might have not you, know, you know, might not even recognize that it's happening but actually as you begin to recognize it for what it is you begin to find it in the everyday i find that to be really really powerful whether it's a bad meeting or a bad conversation with your partner or a you know bad news about 
a job interview or whatever it is that you're going through in life or 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 even a good thing right there are good things as well um you can begin to recognize consciousness as consciousness and how thoughts and feelings um just consistently suck you away from the from the here and now um from experiencing reality as it is um yeah it's 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 really powerful to be honest with you I guess kind of pushing into it a little bit more what would you what would you be saying to people to kind of go away and read and uh, maybe watch on youtube sort of websites those sorts of um safe spaces to begin to explore this yeah that's a that's a great question there are there are all sorts of different psychedelic platforms these days um uh catering to different kind of interests um i'd say if you're interested in uh, learning more about idealism, I definitely have to shout out Bernardo Castrop, who is an author and philosopher who was um, a, a um, computational neuroscientist who um, I believe probably took psychedelics and then switched paths to philosophy and is, is now spends most of his time writing about metaphysical idealism and his, his website's great, all his books are great. He writes a lot of really interesting things about consciousness. I'd highly recommend that. Um, to anyone interested in consciousness and psychedelics. Um, as for psychedelics, there are all sorts of great resources out there. Um, uh, the, one of the websites I write for is Entheonation, uh, which has a lot of um, information about psychedelics, especially natural plant medicines and shamanism. Uh, there are um, I, something I definitely recommend to everyone is to find your local psychedelic society because they are popping up more and more if you live near a big city there's a good chance they have a psychedelic society they will often put on events host talks and uh and film screenings and that kind of thing and um those can be a great way to just introduce yourself to the world of psychedelics without having to take any um you can meet interesting people and and find out interesting things um in terms of books about psychedelics, I'd recommend um, uh, I'd recommend all sorts, but I mean, there are so many. The one that I love for someone who's new to psychedelics is called Listening to Ayahuasca by Rachel Harris. And um, she's a clinical psychologist who was very much in a kind of very particular way of seeing the world in the western scientific paradigm kind of way and then went and took ayahuasca uh, which is a psychedelic brew uh, traditionally used by uh, indigenous amazonian people for hundreds if not thousands of years she took ayahuasca and experienced uh, a, a direct message from the deity of ayahuasca saying you must research me now, you know, you must go away and research me. And um, I think she was even given a sort of research plan. Um, and the, the book is about her both learning about ayahuasca, which is very interesting for beginners to psychedelics, but also her grappling with this idea of, um, I thought I understood how the world worked. And now I'm getting messages from some higher power. And I'm trying to do this you know, very regimented, very structured research, but 
the reason I'm here is because I had this profound spiritual experience, which flies in the face of, of what, I, what I thought I knew. And I think for many people coming into psychedelics, that's really, that's really interesting because, you know, you, you, you come in not maybe, maybe not understanding how powerful these spiritual experiences can be, or, or maybe, maybe not even believing that they um, are real in the, in, in the same way as other experiences. Uh, so yeah. I'll definitely shout out that book and I better stop there because I could go on and on about all sorts of books and films and, and things that I'd recommend. But uh, yeah, find your local psychedelic society and then you'll find all sorts of cool things. Yeah. Yeah. And some amazing people, I'm sure. Um, I think it'd be really interesting just to touch on one last thing, which I find um, is often neglected in these conversations. And that's just um, how long humans have been interacting with various forms of psychedelic substances i think people think it's a it's a new thing it's the sort of 60s 50s 60s 70s and it's just going to kind of be this temporary thing and 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 fade away but um you know forgive me i don't know dates and i don't really know places but i know that it's been it's been something that the human species and potentially well definitely many species before them have been um yeah trying to grapple with and explore and understand and utilize and i wonder could you speak to that could you speak to the the history and the longevity of psychedelics and how um us in the west especially have boxed it and categorized it um but actually it's something we have been engaging with for millennia yeah psychedelics have been around for a long long time we 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 call this current psychedelic movement the psychedelic renaissance um but really psychedelic plants have been around since the birth of humanity um it's hard to know when exactly humans started taking psychedelic plants but there are cave paintings that suggest tens of thousands of years um and we have more recent records to suggest many thousand of years and um si from siberian shamans where the term shamanism originates taking the famous uh, red and white spotted amanita muscaria mushroom to um ayahuasca in the amazon magic mushrooms have been used traditionally for hundreds of years salvia divinorum the world's most potent natural hallucinogen um, has been used traditionally in Maztec culture. Um, you have across the world um, so many examples. Um, in in uh, the Middle East, psychoactive substances were used in the early days of Christianity when Christianity used to be more mystic. Um, the tabernacle, the, the little um, hut at the back of uh, churches where priests would get high and have divinatory messages to to give to their congregations i mean i'm not an expert on that kind of thing i would highly recommend looking up danny nemu who is a biblical scholar who talks a lot about um drugs in the bible um if you're interested in more of that but yeah psychedelics are do not belong to modern western culture and in fact there's quite a long history of us extracting uh, traditional psychedelics from indigenous cultures uh, bringing them back into our culture and then not really giving anyone any credit for it. Um, we not only do that with the actual substances, like the popular popularity of ayahuasca means that ayahuasca vine is being threatened in the Amazon, um, but also we love to appropriate knowledge, indigenous systems of knowledge, and bring it into our Western framework and say that it's ours now 
without really acknowledging that fact, you know, because we consider our wisdoms to be superior to indigenous wisdom. So a lot of the sort of early anthropologists who encountered natural psychedelics and brought them back to the West um, would also come back with a lot of indigenous wisdom from the shamans who've been working with them for hundreds of years um, and not particularly give them credit. And we, we see that happening these days with um, what uh, I like to call, uh, what, or what we like to call um, neo-shamans, um, often white people who set themselves up as healers or facilitators or even shamans sometimes um, and use a lot of this indigenous wisdom without, um, you know, giving credit to where it comes from or um, uh, practicing any kind of reciprocity to give back to the places where it's come from. And then we just see the perpetuation of the Western ideas of seeing the world just with a sprinkle of psychedelics added, you know, and, and the, the point I'm getting to here is that true healing is never going to be possible in that kind of a framework. We are just going to continue the same old systems of oppression and colonization. If we want to break free of that, if we, if we really do want to heal both as a culture, but also as individuals, we do have to acknowledge where psychedelics have come from, where a lot of this psychedelic wisdom and knowledge has come from that's informed how we use psychedelics in therapy today, even in very Western clin clinical settings. We have to, yeah, think about how we want to give back and how we want to exist in a world with psychedelics that don't belong to us. Yeah. Yeah, that's so powerful. I think you're absolutely right. I find, um, yeah, I just, if you just look at the, just the time frames, right? So the West is, um, you can give it about, I don't know, 500 years really, and it's been kind of booming. Um, but actually, if you look at sort of the rest of the world and sort of population levels and sort of expo uh, exploration levels, um, I've been doing far more for far longer. And actually, um, you could even strip it even further back and kind of this is, is an interesting theory and it's just a theory like we are we are never going to know and it's called um I'm sure, I'm sure you've heard of it pat but i kind of explain it for the listener it's called the the, the stoned ape hypothesis where there's this idea that essentially we took psychedelics i say we as in some sort of sort of like um proto-human you know homo sapien form whatever it is um homo erectus or uh you know homo nathalianus or whatever it is and um, took some sort of psychedelic substance and that is actually the thing that began to help us uh, evolve our brain to to the place it is in today um and you, know, you see certain substances like lion's mane which is quite um, a, a peculiar a peculiar looking um sort of um growth um yeah kind of how, how that can actually interact with our synapses and how it can actually help with things like dementia and alzheimer's and those sorts of things and how we're trying to understand it more because there's probably a lot of properties in there that would help um yeah certain fibers in the brain to to work together more effectively for instance and so there's just there's just so much um history and culture and exploration that we just um and you're absolutely right diminish and quite often just because we want to escape and experience something rather than actually realizing that um, this is a substance that we can utilize and it has been utilized for generations across cultures and across time and across things that weren't even human in the classic homo sapien form they were they were pre us and um actually yeah we can begin to um appreciate that these things have been um yeah given to us 
by our ancestors essentially and we need to actually look back and recognize that and and give the nod of thank you to those people because they've gone and um tried things that would have killed them and tried things that would have uh, changed how they've experienced the world and uh, yeah there's there's so much there i think you're absolutely right we um we very rarely look back we we often just look to our next high rather than look back to to the culture and the stories and the reasons behind why these people were willing to dare and try and experience together in community that's another thing that we don't think very often we think these days we, we we have our little groups of friends and we go and do little certain things when actually an entire community of elderly and young came together to experience something as as a whole as a collective um, and we just stripped that away from our western motif because we were like our individual houses our castles with our walls and our own wi-fi and our own food and our own fridge freezer and our own us um yeah it's it's it is literally embedded within everything we are so um yeah i don't know if we can ever get away from it i don't know <laughs> sadly um anyway pat finally kind of i know you mentioned um the websites that you've worked on and and bits and pieces but how can people get hold of you how can they interact with you how can they learn more about your work yeah, um, the best place to follow me is probably on Twitter, although I post a lot of angry political stuff. So if you don't like that, don't follow me there. It's at RJ Patrick Smith. And uh, other than that, if you want sort of just psychedelic output, I have my own personal blog, thepsychedelicscientist.com, uh, which is where I put all of the writing that I'm most proud of. So I definitely direct people that way. Yeah, that's amazing. And the fact that you managed to kind of tag that URL shows that you are right at the forefront of this thing, mate. So uh, yeah, hats off to you. That is um, that is impressive, um, mate. It's been it's been a pleasure talking to you. Um, there are so many more things I want to say, so many more questions I have. But um, yeah, I appreciate your wisdom and your time, and I'll make sure that all those resources and links are yeah in the description. So listener, check out the description for those links and resources. And uh, yeah, Pat, thank you so much, mate. Thank you. This has been a really lovely conversation. Thanks. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode. To leave any comments or thoughts, you can head over to YouTube. And to follow us on social media, or to see where else we are online, hit the link in the description. Thank you to all our regular givers for making this dream a reality. I'll catch you here at the same time next week. Enjoy the journey.